lovely verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, of course, that uh, gives us a little more, more insight into the, uh, the subject of the Passover. Uh, Hebrews 11, 28 says, By faith Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. You know, as you know, it's uh, said earlier on, it's Messy Church Sunday, and the theme uh, was that of the ten plagues that God sent upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians in order to show his ascendancy over the gods of the Egyptians. If you notice in the reading, Nigel said that God was dis- would destroy the gods of Egypt. This is more than just a physical battle, this was a spiritual battle uh, that God was waging upon uh, the enemy. It was also to show Pharaoh, or persuade Pharaoh, to let his people go, which was a little bit more tricky than dealing with the gods. Deal with, dealing with the gods was quite simple because they are quite non, uh, non-entities, but dealing with Pharaoh was a different kettle of fish altogether, and we know that each successive plague made Pharaoh's heart harder than the one before. <clears throat> you were indeed at the end of plague number nine, which was the plague of darkness, where they all went around pinning tails to donkeys. I don't know if that's in the scriptures, but it did happen in Messy Church today. Pharaoh did some warning itself. And this is what he said to Moses, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. That was the last thing that Pharaoh ever said. To Moses, when you see my face again, you shall die. So the scene is set really for the final showdown. There was just place for one more plague. A plague that would defeat the enemy and release the captives. It was the night when the destroyer would pass through the land of Egypt and destroy all the firstborn sons whether prince or pauper, man or beast. So it was a big night, a really big night. Now for us here tonight, we know this night to be the night of the Passover. And um, a phrase, really, that from this moment on was said to become perhaps the main theme of the Scriptures from that point onwards. You know, and from that point onwards, the word Passover is used at least 72 times from here to the end of the Bible. It's included in nine of the Old Testament books, and it's included in six of the New Testament books. So therefore it's a very important subject. And so perhaps sometimes we don't do it justice. What is it all about? Why is it so special? Why is it mentioned so many times? What is the importance of it? You know, we could perhaps spend a couple of months looking at the, the ins and outs of the, of the Passover. But more than this feast that took place over 3,000 years ago, more than all that, it has become for us the blueprint of the plan of God's salvation. No, we've sung tonight, all the songs have been about Christ and Christ crucified. Every one of them. 
They mentioned the blood. They mentioned the cross. They mentioned his death and resurrection. All the songs have been about Jesus. About no one else. And about Jesus' death. And nothing else. No, it's great to sing about his birth. It's wonderful to sing about his life. And what he did and accomplished in his life. But it's his death. That is of the utmost importance to us. And it's a death that is signified in this Passover. It's the blueprint for the plan of God's salvation. As he rescues his people from the tyranny of Satan. From the fear of death. And from the slavery of sin. And so it sort of rises up for us. From the pages of Exodus. Where it basically has not a lot to do with us. And floats through the air and through time and comes down and lands on the streets of Jerusalem just 2,000 years ago as Christ, our Passover. Now, this is where it interests us. You know, we're not so interested in what happened back in Moses' day, although it's important. It has no bearing or little bearing. On our day to day life today. But when we come to 2,000 years ago and we see our Passover, Christ, our Passover, then it comes to fulfill all of the conditions that God has set out. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And I want to say just a couple of things about the Passover tonight. And first I want you to notice whose Passover it really is. Exodus 12 says, verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes in your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, because it is the Lord's Passover. Yes, it is the Lord's Passover. He has planned it. He brought it into being. He told us how to execute it. This wasn't man's way of reaching God. This wasn't man's way to alleviate himself of his enemies. This wasn't man's way of becoming something worthwhile. This was God's way in bringing his own to himself. This was God's way of defeating our enemies. This is God's way of making a pathway back to himself. It's all about Him. It's His salvation. It's His way of redemption. There's no other way. You know, the world can talk about the many roads leading to God. And they can perhaps satisfy themselves that they are on one of those roads. But I'm sorry, but the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ways of men lead to death. And if you're on a road to God... Then you are going to death. You are going to a Christless eternity. It will be a sad end for you. If you go on a road to God. But if you go on the way to God. And Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Then if you go on that road. If you follow Jesus. If you trust in Him. If you consider His sacrifice to be the propitiation for your sins, then it won't be death you will be faced, but it will be life, and life more abundantly. It will be eternity with Him. And all the blessings of God will be ours to enjoy. See, the Passover 
has become for us the defining moment in the history of grace through the history of salvation and redemption it is he it is Christ who has brought it in to being it is he who says I am the only way the truth and the life so not is it God's way but it's God's only way you know the strangest thing about it that Christ tried to find another way you know when he was in the garden of Gethsemane he asked God is there another way can this cup pass from me no can we do something different about this sin problem and God said to his own son no there's no other way you have to go to the cross or no one will be saved nevertheless he says not my will then not my way then but your will be done you see it's not only God's way it's God's only way of salvation in fact the Bible tells us very plainly that there is salvation in no other name given to men only the name of Jesus and people who reject this way in preference for some other way will be bitterly and eternally disappointed because in Christ alone my hope is found in Christ alone my hope is found or as the second verse of that hymn says in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid you in the death of Christ I live he is the only way of salvation his is the only blood that will redeem us his is the only death that will reconcile us back to the father if you want to spend your eternity outside of God's realm then reject the way but if you want to spend eternity with the one who loves you who gave you life and who gave you new life then you follow the way this Passover it's God's way of drawing his people to himself the second thing I want us to notice is that blood is an essential part of this process it's not a part of the process it's the essential part of the process you know and the whole thing revolves around the blood you know and the first thing about this blood is that it has to be pure blood pure blood that lamb you know as I listen to Nigel reading the scriptures that lamb has to be a certain age it can be taken from the lambs or from the goats and it must be pure you've got to look after it for 14 days there's no defect defect in fact you will find that there are six abominations that God hates more than anything else you know that you know I talk you can talk about the top ten that's the ten commandments you know but there's a super six and all and they are the abominations and one of them is giving to God defective things giving to God defective things you know how many of us you know when it came and I'm not going to say this is a, an abomination but you have a woman come in here many many years ago and perhaps none of you will know uh, Nigel Wood and Polly and she came here and she 
said to me one day, she said, I got a toilet seat in the house. Do you think you'd want it? And I thought, the last thing I want is a toilet seat after you. (laughs) (laughs) But she brought it. And the thing about the toilet seat is that it was snapped. And she had meant it with insulation tape. (laughs) And I thought, what on earth do I want a toilet seat after you which is snapped and repaired with insulation tape? And I thought, what a defective thing to bring to the house of the Lord. That is an abomination in his sight. But her heart was there. As long as she didn't see me throwing it in a skip, I don't mind. <laughs> but that's one of the things that God hates the most. You know, and I'm not saying that. You know, that's, uh, you know she's, she's with the Lord now. Perhaps he told her about it. Perhaps they had a bit of a smile. Remember that toilet seat? <laughs> you brought <laughs> Do you know we put it in the skip? But anyway, this, this um, sort of process. You see, God is so meticulous about this lamb. This process was painstaking. You know, from getting the lamb from the flock to the altar, nothing was left to choice. The lamb must be perfect because it symbolizes the pure lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the preparations for the coming one who would shed his own blood upon the cross was as precise, was as painstaking as the lamb that we have here, even more so. You know, this child that would become the sacrifice for the sins of the world had to be virgin born because it couldn't be born with sin. You know, the sin of Adam couldn't be a part of this person's upbringing. So he had to be born of a virgin in order to break that genealogy of sin. This was no ordinary man chosen to take our place. This was no invention of God, some created angel or something for this purpose. No, this was God himself. In the flesh. You know, the angel tells Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Notice that. That Holy One, that person in the womb of Mary was the Holy One of God. Was God Himself in the flesh, as pure as pure can be, as holy as holy could be. Here He is. He's walking the earth as God is preparing Him for the Passover. Secondly, about this blood, that it has to be shed. You know, as perfect as the Lamb had to be, it was His death that was important. It was His blood. That was to be used. Because that was the salvation or the price of salvation for those who were in Egypt. To save their firstborn. Each household had to have a substitute to die in that firstborn's place. You know, and it's such a great picture of the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Because He became our substitute upon that cruel cross. He died a death that I should have died. It was the payment for my sins, not his. It was the judgment of God upon me as a sinner, not upon him as a son. And yet he willingly 
took my place he took my place and suffered there instead of me you know there were many occasions in the life of Christ when he was tempted to do it another way when he was tempted to become the popular person when he was tempted to become the benevolent person when he was tempted to become the physician when all these people came and eulogized him because he fed them they eulogized him because he healed them they eulogized him because he gave them things and they all wanted to make him something a king a leader a benefactor oh if and what did Satan say the whole world will bow down to you feed them bread heal their sick give them this give them that and what more will they want you know, and that was a part of the great temptation of Christ. Popularity. You know, and it would have been wonderful to see such a miracle worker walking the earth and doing all these wonderful things. You know, how many times have we wondered at the miracles that Jesus has, has uh, performed in his lifetime? But it was his death that was the important bit. It was his blood shed. That was the part of his experience that would bring salvation to you and to me. The blood had to be shed. But also, the blood has to be spread. You know, although the lamb had lost its life, it still was not the complete answer for the survival of the firstborn. There was another step to take. A very important step. In fact, a vital step. And that is the blood must be spread. Nigel read it must be spread on the doorposts and on the lintel. Because that was the sign that death had already entered that house. And therefore there would be no need of the destroyer entering and killing anymore. Yeah, but death had happened in the house. Even if we didn't spread it on the, on the door and the lintel, death had already happened in the house. So why are we going to spread it on the door? Well, the answer is because it must be seen. Otherwise, how would the destroyer know that the life had already been given? You know, here we are today in 2020. And one thing is certain. Christ died 2,000 years ago. That is a certainty. He's died. He shed his blood. He paid the ransom price for your sin and mine. It's all there down in the book. None of us would dare question that. He rose again to prove that he was the Son of God. To prove that his sacrifice satisfied the righteousness of God. It's all there in the book. None of us would ever deny that. So what's wrong? What else should we do? What else should we do? You know, and uh, our eternal salvation is no, of no value to an individual. All that that Christ has done will be of no value to me or to you until, until you apply that to your own experience. You see, this isn't a corporate thing. This is an individual thing. You know, and this is the, uh, the beauty of the, the cross of Christ. 
It stands there completed. It is finished was his cry. It's complete. God has got to nothing else to do. But you and I, we have to respond. We have to respond. You know, in, in, in technical terms, we have to spread the blood. Apply it to our own lives. You know, and to realize that yes, Christ died for all mankind. But what God wants to know is, did he die for me? Did he die for you? When we stand before him, you say, did Christ die for you? No, Lord, he died for the whole world. No, I didn't ask you that. Did he die for you? Have you seen you in need of a saviour? Have you put your trust in the blood of Christ? Have you applied it to your life? That's the most important question. The question of dealing with sin is done and dusted. God knows that. Sin rock. Nothing can change that. But it's down to the individual. You and me. To say yes Lord. You died for me. And I acknowledge that Jesus is my own personal saviour. That his death has an influence on my eternal outcome. But is it true for you? Have you taken that step? Have you said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, I take you a sacrifice and you a blood. And apply it to my heart so that I will be clean. That when I see God, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Rather than, I don't know you. And last of all, the blood has to be red. When I see the blood, says God, I will pass over. You see, the final decision is always with God. It is He who assesses the situation and acts accordingly. It is He who decides what action to take. You know, and those that followed the pattern... And killed the pure lamb. And daubed the blood on the doorpost on the lintel. God had a decision to make. And his decision would be final. And when he saw that blood. He decided that that firstborn or those firstborn in that home would be spared. When I see the blood. It was shed. That had to happen. It was daubed. That had to happen. But it was seen. When God saw the blood, He decided what action to take. And that firstborn was spared. But for those who didn't follow through with His pattern, you know, they might have slain the, the lamb, but they didn't spread it on the door. And when God came, to that home, he had a decision to make. And his decision would be the death of a firstborn. It's awful, isn't it? But none need go through that experience in Egypt. Because everyone had the same opportunity to follow the pattern of God. And none, no none, need to go to hell today. Because we've all got the same opportunity to follow the pattern that God has set. The pattern is the death of the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. <coughs> That's sorted. 
the next part of the pattern is for me and you as individuals not as a church not as a nation not as a west or an east but as an individual to say to the Lord I take your sacrifice as the salvation of my soul as the cleansing of my sin you and God will make a decision you know and I would say that my God remember you the final say for our eternal destiny is in the hands of almighty God he will decide who enters his glorious rest and those who want and it will be decided upon what he sees when I see the blood when you stand there and you will stand there we'll all stand there will he see that you have applied the blood of his son to your life and the question I ask tonight are you trusting in the shed blood of Christ to bring salvation to you or are you trusting to yourself what is he going to see when you get there will he see a very proud man who is confident in his own righteousness or will he see a humble man who has no merit of his own but only the merit of Christ's blood I tell you it will decide where you spend eternity the blood has to be pure and Christ is the pure undefiled son of God the blood has to be shed and he went to Calvary bearing our sins and shed his blood for the remission of our sins it has to be spread ah now it comes to me now it comes to you have you applied the blood to your life it has to be read is he going to read or what is he going to read when he sees you I wonder I thank God that when I stand before God he will see the blood you know, that doesn't make me better than you doesn't make me have more merit than you I haven't earned my way into that place I've humbly asked him for his salvation is that case with you are you still holding out for another way or are you still thinking I'm righteous, on my, righteous enough on my own let me tell you there's only one way when there was no blood there was death when there was blood there was life and that's the challenge to us as a congregation to me have you pursued God for his salvation have you daubed the blood of his, of his son upon the portals of your heart and your mind because it will make all the difference if you haven't then I will be so pleased to talk to you tonight and lead you into a place where God will say there's my son I can see the blood that will be a great day for you it will be a great day for heaven rejoicing more over one sinner being saved than over 99 righteous people and I'm amazing God is interested in me because I'm a sinner a sinner he can save